Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. One of the most shocking things that I heard from the documentary Shiny Happy People, not only is a woman getting attacked her fault, but she should be grateful for it. That means God is giving her a challenge to make her more spiritual. This is one of those where this relates so closely to Warren Jeffs. He was basically having orgies and forcing these women to perform sexual acts on him. He called those heavenly sessions. (gasps) A woman could never be as close to God as she could in a heavenly session, which was basically him being a sexual predator in a large group setting. I mean, he was their prophet Mm -hmm. and they had no sex education at all. So when he comes and says, this is how it is to be done, they say, okay. Hey guys, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. As always, if you're only listening and you want to see all of our faces today, we got three people in the studio. Go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like and subscribe. Thank you so much to all my amazing subscribers. We've passed 44,000. I'm over the moon. I just cannot believe how many people are here to support the cause. And really, truly, it means a lot because you're not only supporting me and the time it takes to put all this content together, but you are supporting these people who are being brave, coming on, telling their stories. You are becoming advocates for these voices who haven't been heard until now in some cases. And so I just really appreciate your support. And of course, I love interacting with you in the comments as well. So today's guests, plural, you have requested them before. We were finally able to connect. They have their own channel called Growing Up in Polygamy. Husband and wife team, they talk everything that has to do with fundamentalism in the Mormon sect, which I came from mainstream Mormonism. They came from the fundamentalist side. We're going to talk about what that means. Don't worry. And thank you so much for joining us, Sam and Melissa. Thank you so much for having us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. (laughs) Uh, So we've been meaning to connect. And this is awesome because we all grew up in Mormonism in some way, shape or form. Sam, you grew up in the fundamentalist sect in the Warren Jeffs community. And Melissa, you are from the same brand as me, mainstream Mormonism. (laughs) So I'm really excited to get into the weeds with that. But even more exciting is we are going to be talking about the documentary that just came out, Shiny Happy People. It is making huge waves in the cult space, the IBLP, which is the Institute in Basic Life Principles. It's a very culty group that is rooted in Christian fundamentalism, extreme Christian fundamentalism. So what we're doing today is we are going to compare the FLDS, the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, with the IBLP group of principles. So... Let's get into this. <laughs> Where do we even start? Do you want to, Sam, give everyone just like a brief idea of who the FLDS are so we can kind of have some grounds for comparison? Sure. Yes, they are. A, well, it's kind of in the name, but they're fundamentalists uh, to the Mormon idea of uh, the mainstream Mormon church. The They actually came from the same place, started with uh, the first few original prophets, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and John Taylor. Uh, after that would come Wilfred Woodruff, and that is where, uh, to 
long story short, that is where the FLDS split off because they didn't agree with putting an end to the practice of polygamy. Mm. So they they continued on with the polygamy, uh, and to this day, they still do. My father uh, had, or I was raised in the home with four moms, and that is was just natural and normal to me, actually. But as far as the belief system, the FLDS also believe in a lot of the same scriptures as the mainstream LDS church, as far as teachings of the prophets, the Book of Mormon, and the Bible. Uh, and, you know, really, they've just stuck, they stuck with the, it's almost like they're stuck in back in time, the FLDS, in the mm-hmm. way that they dress, the way that they uh, go about things, the way they talk even. They did accept some of the new technologies, such as very nice vehicles. For some reason, that was allowed. <laughs> uh, intranet was not allowed. Uh, some of the some of the businesses were allowed to have intranet, but only for work purposes, which would in turn bring money back into the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, very hardworking people. That's kind mm-hmm. of the idea behind it. Uh, education was talked about, not always the most important thing. It seemed to be more important that people were uh, learning how to either take care of children, raise a family, or get out on the job and uh, make some money. So that's the very short, I guess, recap of what the <laughs> FLDS is. That was an amazing recap. Like, honestly, A+. Plus. That was great. <laughs> I, I have an actual playlist on my page right now. I think it's called Fundamentalist Mormonism Unveiled. So if you guys want to get into the weeds, uh, whoever's listening about Mormon fundamentalism, you can go there. But also, what am I talking about? We're going to get into the weeds today because we're going to be comparing all of these rules and lifestyles with the IBLP. So you'll get a taste of it. So let's dive in. The first thing I want to talk about is the purity culture. This is not specific to Mormonism or the IBLP. You can find it in many Christian religions, right? But these guys took it to the extreme. One thing that I do remember from my previous episodes with someone who was from the FLDS, which I wonder if you know her. Do you know Jude Bateman? I know a lot of Batemans, and maybe if I saw her face, I would recognize her, but uh, I don't know her very well, I guess I should say. Okay. So I just had a moment where I was like, you're from the same place. wonder if you know each other. (laughs) (laughs) I think she was mentioning how you have to wait and have your first kiss on your wedding day. So is that true for you? Oh, yes. Well, uh, thankfully, I wasn't married in the FLDS, but I had a lot of siblings that were. And yes, that is 100% accurate. You are not allowed to so much as hold hands until you are assigned. And I say assigned because uh, we weren't allowed to date. It was all up to the church, who and when and how many wives. All of that information was directly from the prophet of the church, which my childhood was Rulin Jeffs and then Warren Jeffs. And of course, they would tell us that they were receiving this information of who was to marry who from God directly is what they would tell us. But but yes, there, we weren't allowed to date, to hold hands, hug any uh, for, coming from a guy, any girls from outside of the family we weren't allowed to have any type of relationship with. Wow. I'm not entirely familiar with your specific story. So when did you actually get out? When did you leave? I was 18 years old. Okay. 
when I left. Yeah. Okay. So were they trying to arrange you or assign you before you left? <laughs> he always jokes that if, he wasn't righteous enough. Uh, if only I had been a better boy and, and uh, followed the rules. Let's just know. say he held a girl's hand before marriage. And so he was on the blacklist. Exactly. I wasn't allowed, but I had held hands. I had kissed a girl, Uh-oh. you know. And I liked it. Um, anyway, so there was, it was, I wasn't really following the rules that well. And for that reason, I was not assigned, okay. to my knowledge, yeah. <laughs> assigned to anyone. They also, in the FLDS, it's very typical that the men tend to be a little bit older before marriage. You know, the, yeah. the women tend to get married a lot younger, um, even underage brides very, is very common. But for the men, they tend to end up being, what, in their 20s usually? Typically. Typically before a first wife anyway. Mm. So the boys would end up being older than 18, but the girls are younger. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just wondering what your thoughts were about the extreme purity culture because, of course, like when you're a teenager, that's all you want to do is make out with girls, <laughs> like <laughs> explore, right? It's yep. natural. It's part of our biology. So yep. I was just wondering what your thoughts were. And then, Melissa, I want to get your thoughts because we kind of had similar rules, but not that extreme. Right. Yeah. So my thoughts on it is it was not good because you try to – you ca- you try to be so strict with certain rules like that, where it's just nature and natural, you're going to have people rebelling. Mm-hmm. And so they caused a bigger problem probably than they, than they should have because they try to keep everyone so separate. Even uh, having friends outside of the family wasn't really allowed. We weren't supposed to really have friends. We were supposed to just kind of stick together as a family because all the other families might be a bad influence in some way. So... It was it was very, very strict. And because of that, I felt like we were constantly trying to get around the rules. And to and of course that came with being disobedient, disobeying our parents, disobeying the church, the, the rules. Uh so once we started disobeying, then we felt guilty, we felt shame, we we felt like we would go to hell uh mm-hmm. because of the way we were taught. So it was just um it was a lot of fear, a lot of fear growing up. And uh, it definitely was not healthy or good for anyone. Yeah. What was it like for you, Melissa? Oh, man. So I'd say that mine was pretty typical <laughs> for the mainstream Mormonism. I mean, very much it was our job as girls to control the thoughts of boys at all times, right? Everything yeah. that we wore. We had to worry about what they were going to think. And, you know, if someone made a comment about your body, maybe you weren't being modest enough. Even if you were already modest, maybe it wasn't enough, right? Like there was always something more you could do. Um, We always had to draw the lines is kind of how I was taught. I feel like I know they had talks with boys about pornography and things like that. So I'm not saying they didn't. But it seemed like it was almost assumed that boys were going to have those urges naturally, that they were going to try to go too far with you, that they were going to do these things. They were going to look at you. They were going to want to touch you. Like that for a boy, that was just natural. And as a girl, it was our job to like stop them from being natural. I don't know if that makes sense. But it was just a lot of pressure to put on the girls from a very young age that your purity – all like was you had to protect so closely 
because boys aren't inherently supposed to be pure the way that you are almost. And purity is equal to your worth as a woman in Mormonism in any sect. That's what I'm finding at least. And that's how it was for me where they would have these lessons, these object lessons, like the licked cupcake. Who wants a cupcake? I want a cupcake. And then someone licks it. Who (laughs) wants it now? Ew. This is like your virginity and nobody wants a licked cupcake or the chewed gum gum or whatever it is that literally makes us into objects. Like they were object lessons and we're teaching these young girls, girls as young as 12 years old, that this is where their worth comes from. And then- early prophets, which I didn't know about this until years later, probably only like four years ago did I read these quotes from early prophets saying, it's better to die than to get raped and lose your virtue without a fight. It's just, it's not okay. It breeds such horrible circumstances for these kids who are just doing normal things. And it it breeds this predator mentality for the, the men, not giving them any sort of control over themselves right like you were saying the women are in charge of whatever the men do and that's insane so as it relates to the iblp they have a very similar extreme uh set of rules around purity culture so we we mentioned the obvious like no touching (laughs) at all but then when it comes to other things like the impure thoughts they called women uh lust traps their bodies are lust traps and you have to cover them. So eye eye traps. Yeah. Like avoid eye traps and their necklines are way up here and covering their knees and covering their shoulders. And I dealt with some of that in mainstream Mormonism, but Sam, I mean the (laughs) Warren Jeffs community, I will say is probably the most (laughs) strict of all of them. Yeah. So tell everyone what the, the clothing was like in the FLDS. So, uh, I don't know about the institution um, that the Duggars were involved with and all of that as far as the undergarment. But in my uh, childhood in in the FLDS, we were all required, men and women, to wear underclothes. We didn't call them garments. We just called it underwear. Uh, I know that the garment name comes from the mainstream LDS church. And, but they were long, they were, they would come up to your neck, long sleeves, all the way down to your ankles. You were completely covered. So you had to wear clothes that would completely cover all of that. So for the women, they, they really couldn't even show their ankles. Uh, They had to wear some kind of leggings or something, tights underneath their dresses in order to cover up the underwear and then wear a dress that would go down to their ankles and socks and shoes. And I then mean, a slip. And then a slip, and yes. And a bra. Uh-huh. And a lot of a lot of stuff was uh, made at home. It was homemade. The underwear was homemade. The uh, dresses, the, uh, I don't know. A lot of the stuff was homemade. I don't know about the bras. Maybe. They, they made a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They were pretty handy that way. Uh, so anyway very much covered up and that was for the guys and the the women yeah the women obviously had to wear dresses at all time uh, so and they were very specific they couldn't have any kind of slits they had to be very long uh with big collars and you know it just kind of like an old prairie dress but long sleeves yeah and for any of your viewers who are familiar with mainstream mormonism and they're like what is that it does stem from the exact same beginnings as the 
uh, mainstream Mormon garment. So their garment, the FLDS garment and the LDS garment um, do come from the same beginnings. Right. Though they're different now. Yeah. And maybe you guys know this. So I was told that initially when Mormon settled Utah, the original reason that they had garments was to distinguish who was Mormon and who wasn't. And the, and they were like the to the wrist, to the ankle situation. And then they got shorter and shorter and shorter. And then they added more of like the symbols and the Masonic principles to it. Do you know if there's any truth to that? The, so interestingly. Yeah, she, she knows all these answers. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> so, tell me. Interestingly, this is one of, this was one of my deep dives um, as we were going through our faith journey. So I learned a lot. And as I was searching, it's very hard to find answers about Mormon garments and like the origination story. But I will say that what I found and what I'm sharing, I my brother was going to BYU at the time. And I said, can you go ask your like institute instructors, like your religious teachers at BYU and ask if what I'm finding out is true. And I had at least one that he talked to that said I was right. Okay. Again, it's really hard to find information, but they did originate and um, they were meant to be only worn inside the temples. Uh, That's why they were called the temple garment. The temple garment. Yeah. And it was before they ever came to Utah. And um, the, the special, the symbols, all of the important things, it was originally to collar, wrists, ankles. There were even additional symbols, um, or things that had great importance at that time that you can look back and find out what all of those meant too. So there were additional things to the importance of the garments. And then what was happening was basically, which is so funny because this just happens in Mormon culture sometimes, like, um, basically what was happening is women started wearing them outside the temple to kind of show that they were more righteous or that they were like um, worthy of being in the temple, right? It temple was goers. Outward, yeah, yeah. Being <laughs> yeah. self-righteous, right? Self-righteousness. I'm, you know, I'm pretty awesome. I have access to these temple garments. And so people just started wearing them outside of the temple and then it became a cultural thing. And then people were like, well, if they were meant for inside the temple, I'm supposed to remember my covenants and I'm going to wear them outside the temple all the time. And that's kind of how it transitioned that way. They were never originally meant to be worn outside. And that's why they're still referred to like formally as the temple garment. That is so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And that makes total sense, especially because you can't get garments until you go to the temple. Right. So exactly. people ask me if I had to wear them. I was like, nah, I dodged that bullet. <laughs> to wear I, I'm a fashion design major. So oh. I was always pushing the boundaries on modesty. I was like, I want to wear a tank top and I want to wear shorts and I don't want to wear shirts under tank tops. And I was just like not having it. So yeah, but same thing. Like I was never worthy enough to go into the temple anyway, even if I wanted to, according to my bishops, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It'll be interesting to see where the garments end up over time too, because they They've have changed, changed so much. A lot. But right. originally Joseph Smith also said that if they were ever to be changed from the original restoration, which is the the way that the FLDS wears them, that it would be blasphemy. <gasps> Minus the symbols. Yes, the FLDS do not have symbols on theirs. But other than that, uh, very mm. the, the same shape and, and everything else. Yeah. So when it comes to clothing, very restrictive, covering everything. Girls can't wear pants. Same with the IBLP. Women are supposed to wear long skirts, loose clothing. If it's too tight, that's a sin because you can't be showing that girly figure of yours. That's right. Yeah. Eye traps. 
eye drops. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And then that also leads into what we were saying as far as predatory behavior and it being the woman's fault. So one of the most shocking things that I heard from the documentary, Shiny Happy People, they're saying not only is a woman getting attacked her fault, but she should be grateful for it because that means God is giving her a challenge to make her more spiritual. That's one way for a guy to get away with it, right? Right. Say, hey, you should be grateful. You should be grateful. This is a God. This is God's blessing to you. Like, which is what? Okay, this is one of those where this relates so closely to Warren Jeffs mm -hmm. because he, when he was basically having orgies and forcing these women to perform sexual acts on him, he called those heavenly sessions, and he said that. That was the way for a woman to get as close to God as possible. They, a woman could never be as close to God as she could in a heavenly session, which was basically him being a sexual predator in a large group setting to even minors in those group no. settings. Oh, yeah. Absolutely horrific. And, and, and then in turn, because they believed him, I mean, he was their prophet. Like, of course, he, they're going to believe him. Mm -hmm. And they had no sex education at all. So when he comes and says, this is how it is to be done, they say, okay, yes, sir. Yeah. And and do whatever he asks. So yeah, crazy. That's definitely a similarity with Bill Gothard, the guy who invented the IBLP. He was kind of a prophet in a really weird way, even though he wasn't the head of a church, but people worshiped him and deified him mm -hmm. like a prophet. In the interview I just did with Jen talking about her life inside the IBLP, he handpicked her to come and be a part of where he was. And even she even lived in his childhood home with his mother, like was really close. But sh same thing. She was like, yeah, I got super weird vibes from him. He would play footsies with me. It was very inappropriate. But no one really mm. questioned it because he's Mr. Gothard. And why would you question it? The guy who is in charge for helping us be more godly people. So, right. yeah, that's definitely a thing. And I have that on my list, too, as far as deifying the leader who can do no wrong. And usually they're very predatory. And the only thing they want is money, power, and sex, usually with lots of people and children. Along those lines, something that someone said, one of the women said is, the moment I realized that, that he was just a man, right? Like I couldn't believe that I went through with all of this. And I had that same feeling with Warren Jeffs. The moment I realized, oh, he's just a man. Because because of the way I was raised and these people in, the, in this other group, I mean, you look at these people as God figures. I mean, they, they tell us that they're talking with God on a daily basis, that they are listening to what God says and then just telling us. And mm -hmm. so you think they are way above a normal human. So the moment you realize they're just another guy, it's like, it just, it's shattering. Yeah. I think too, both in the mainstream Mormon and in the FLDS, we have the same early prophets. And I believe it was Wilford Woodruff who, Wilford Woodruff, who had said that, you know, a prophet is incapable of being wrong mm. because if he were to be wrong, then God would take it away from him and he could no longer be the prophet. Right. And so both the, both religions have that precedent of God can't let the prophet be wrong. He can't lead you astray. And so as soon as you say, I believe in the prophet or I follow the prophet, then now you can't, you can't get around them being the ultimate authority figure. Yeah. If you yeah. truly believe that. Yeah. 
It's yeah. really dangerous. It creates an awful power imbalance, which I want to get into in a minute too. But to wrap up the purity culture thing, there was this quote that, oh, boiled my blood. It said, and this is in regards to modesty, defrauding is making a man have desires that cannot be righteously fulfilled. Like, F you guys. I'm sorry. If you get horny by looking at me and I don't fulfill your desires, that's somehow on me? Um, no. Yeah. And and it leads... Uh, unfortunately, so many of these predators, too, they end up preying on children. Yes. Right? And so what's the excuse for that? What's the excuse? You know, like, are you trying to say that a child... Does that? No, it's they are a predator. And whether it's on a child or even an adult, like trying to say that it's their fault is just, oh yeah, it makes my blood boil too. And the way that they take advantage of their positions of authority is just so sad and tends to be such a pattern that we see in a lot of these these groups. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's sickening. And it's, you know, I feel, I believe that one of the reasons they, they uh, are so inappropriate with children is because they feel that they are easier to control mm -hmm. and get away with whatever they want. And it probably goes beyond that. They're so sick in the head that who knows what other kind of craziness is going on. But, but it's just, it's sickening the way that they blame everything on the women so that they can get away with whatever they want. Well, right. And another reason that they can prey on the children is because there is zero sex education. So these children don't even understand what's happening. One, they don't even really know what sex is. They may feel like something is off, but they don't have the words to describe it. They don't know what rape is. They don't know what boundaries are. They don't know how to speak up and say, I don't feel comfortable with this because they've been taught that it's their fault, whatever happens to them. So it's this really toxic cycle. Yeah. And we were talking off camera about this, um, this misinformation and this shame around a female's body and anatomy, even to the point of calling tampons devil sticks. And this woman on the show, she was accused of taking her own virginity by using a tampon. My goodness. And they said she shamed herself because now her husband no longer has the opportunity to break the hymen. What are we in medieval times? Like what is happening? It's it's crazy. It's crazy that two things. One, um, along the lines of children not knowing, we had done an interview with a CPS worker that was at the raid in Texas when the FBI raided um the Warren's compound. Warren's compound in Texas in El Dorado. Mm. And she was talking about the struggle of, she said, normally CPS workers, um, you know, if someone doesn't understand or the kids are really young, they'll like use a doll and be like, oh, where did he touch you or this or that? And they didn't even know like the anatomy on a doll. Like they couldn't point to any body parts. Like they knew so little they could get nothing out of these children even if they had been sexually abused, there was oh, no wow. way to be able to find out because there was such, it wasn't even sex education. It was, they didn't even know the names of their own body parts to be able to identify anything that had happened right. and just how hard that was for CPS oh. or for people to be able to help these children when they don't know anything about what's going on with their bodies. Yeah. So that was the first thing that I want to make sure that yeah. I said, cause yeah, that was absolutely crazy. The use of tampons, I remember, and being mainstream Mormon, like I remember 
it being something that like my mom and I looked into together because my mom wasn't raised Mormon. She was a convert and she actually looked it up whether or not it would be okay for me to use one. Really? Before, like as a, as a virgin, because she didn't want to do like, I don't want to say the Mormon thing wrong, but she didn't want to do something against what the religion was, but she wasn't raised in that religion. So she didn't know. Thankfully, she was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's all good and move forward with it. But I remember that being like a concern of hers of making sure that she did Mormonism properly and looking into that. But I know from Sam's FLDS, like um, sisters, my sister-in-laws, I've had talks with them. And those and were not allowed. Whoa. They were not allowed Tampons at all allowed, yeah. um, in the FLDS community. So much so that I just recently had a talk with my sister-in-law and a couple of her sisters that have all left. And they were talking about the fact that some of them, even having left five, six years ago, still haven't used one since. Wow. Because it's still uncomfortable to even like buy one makes them feel uncomfortable, let alone try to figure out how to use one. And then one of the sisters said that they had like tried, but um, they didn't know how to properly use it. And I had a great great open conversation with them. And I was like, oh, that's because of, you know, this, this, and this, and this is how frequently you change them out and do this and this and this, and that will like save you from these other problems you're having with them. Like having open conversations and dialogue about women's reproductive health, like even on the most basic just taking care of a period mm -hmm. is something yeah. that they're not taught at all. Yeah. And yeah. And, and uh, I'll just speak for myself as a young boy growing up out there. Uh, you mentioned the not knowing what the names for body parts were. That's how it was for us. We would, as young boys, we would make up names. Really? Like, oh, well, you know, we will just call it that because we were never taught what the actual names, the biological names were for body parts. We never knew. Wait, what were some of the names? Do you remember? I know. I don't know what to uh, oh my goodness. It's been so long because now I just know what the actual yeah. name is that I'm trying to think back on what it was. Um, for example, boobs, we called fatties. Oh. <laughs> just just as, an, as an example. That's, That's the only one so I remember. That's so good. I mean, yeah. it's accurate. Oh my goodness. That is I mean, so funny. You're not wrong. Exactly. And I feel so personally attacked. <laughs> hey, this was when I was six years old. Okay. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> but just like uh, you can imagine these young kids just trying to come up with a name. Yeah. Like, well, okay. I don't know what they're called, but. Yeah. And speaking of not having education around your own anatomy, I want to get into the whole sexual reproduction thing. So on the flip side of this extreme purity culture is extreme reproduction. And I, I mean, even listening to stories from mainstream Mormon women who feel awkward and uncomfortable having sex because they've been told it's wrong their whole lives. I can't imagine having to go so extreme on both ends, right? You don't even know what it's like to kiss a boy. Next thing you know, you're married and it's have as many babies, babies as possible, multiply and replenish the earth and you're not allowed to use birth control. And I mean, I was just telling you guys off camera that I've been an egg donor before and even I didn't really know how my reproductive system worked because in the state of Utah, the sex education is awful. Hopefully it's changed by now, but the class that I got was like crap. I didn't, I go to this, this nurse's office and she was like, so this is how your reproductive system works. And this is when we're going to get the eggs. And these are the shots you're going to take. And I was like, oh, what? 
it's so cool down there. I had no idea. Like, I, I didn't know you could only get pregnant certain times of the month. This is news to me. I feel like people should know that. So so what right. was it like for you guys in the FLDS around reproductive systems, around birth control, having all the babies? Well, birth control was no way allowed in any shape or form it was not allowed and the women were taught that their their main purpose in life was to bring children into this world so it was yeah. you get married and you start having children and as you can have and you have as many children as you possibly can it's very common at least from what i saw for the women to have 12 13 14 children so it was just as, as soon as they got married, they started having children uh, almost immediately. And that until they were too old to have children, they kept having them. Wow. One thing that's really interesting, um, just a side note with the FLDS though, is they also believe that once a woman is pregnant, they're not allowed to be sexually touched True. at all. So as soon as a woman, yeah. And so um, the women that I've spoken to, they were like, yeah, you know, that's kind of hard to feel... <laughs> Way to take, like, they already feel like their only purpose in life is to have a bunch of babies, but then to be completely sexually ignored when you're in that process of doing that. So then sex really yeah. does become just that single purpose. Like, there is meant to be For no pleasure at oh. all yeah. to begin with. But then I'm like, to not only not have it be enjoyable, but to just be ignored for such long mm. periods as well is yeah. just like crazy to it me. It was all business. It, it was no pleasure involved from what I hear anyway. It was all business to have kids. And uh, yeah, and it was, I believe that if they were to have sexual relation during the time that they were pregnant, they would call that the murdering of unborn children. Yeah. So basically, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, Can you say that again? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, okay. <laughs> it Rewind. took me a while to process too. Yeah. So they would say if if the husband is having sex with the wife while when she's while she's pregnant, they would call that the murdering of unborn children, meaning that there's no purpose in having sex because she cannot get pregnant again. And so you're murdering the potential children that you would be having at that time. Oh, so my it, it's gosh. confusing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. But yeah. isn't that actually... You could probably trace that back to the Bible verse, right? That says it's against God to spill your seed on the ground. Like you can't waste that stuff. <laughs> Golden seeds. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. It's um, that maybe that's where they got it from. They do have the Bible, and it's very likely they pulled that verse, or maybe Joseph Smith or someone else said something along those lines later on. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's so interesting. So as far as the IBLP goes. They see their children as property in a way, just like the yeah. women. Basically, the oppression of women and children is rampant in extreme Christian fundamentalism. And they have this umbrella system where they say that the women and the children report to God or they're under God or, or not, sorry, under their husband or their father. They have to obey them no matter what. And then the father is under either the preacher or the leader or whoever, and then they're under right. God. So it's this chain of command that creates, again, really unhealthy power dynamics and a lot of abuse. It's just when you are forced to obey, that was another really disturbing part of 
the documentary was them talking about all the different ways they would get children to obey. And these poor children are just forced into submission and they're terrified. And, oh, man, it just hurts my heart. Did you guys have any uh, extreme punishments when it came to children and acting out? So every family was a little bit different, but it was very church wide. It was very well known that the children and wives had to obey the father or the man of the house. He was in charge. Uh, of course, he had to obey the prophet, but he was he was in charge, and everyone had to obey. Uh, I mean, his word was final. So we did live in a lot of fear, you know, that we we had to obey no matter what. And we had to be happy about it. We couldn't try to argue the point. And, you know, so I say this sometimes. I feel like I feel like my parents did the best they could given the circumstances that they were placed in. Right. Yeah. And I heard I've heard of other families that that had a lot more of physical abuse and a lot of bad things happening to the children and to the wives. Abusive, very abusive. For me, I feel like it was I was placed into a loving family, thank goodness. But of course, because of the religious teachings and background, there was a lot of mental abuse. Uh, like I couldn't just go to my father and have a one-on-one f- friendly, hey, how's life? You know, that wasn't really allowed. He was more put on a, on a pedestal of the leader. Uh, so anyway, it was very similar in the, in the hierarchy and the like who's in charge of who in the FLDS. That sounded very familiar to me. I think the FLDS, the biggest difference in the umbrella system would be sticking the prophet between the father and God or Christ in that sense, Mm, right? So like, and the um, IBLP, they were saying that it was like children and then mothers and then fathers and then Christ. But really you would have to stick the prophet in between the fathers and Christ for most of, for most things, they still had to follow the prophet unwaveringly. Um, An interesting thing too is that it was very much, even though the fathers were in charge, you know, and the mothers had to ask, everything had to still go through fo- his father. Like everything has to go through the father. Um, but even in recent revelations, or if you go back and read the textbooks that we have from the FLDS, um, the women were told like that they were in charge of the husband's worthiness. What? So like, yes. And, but then they're also told on the same like flip side of the coin so that the women can always become the scapegoat. Um, you know, if your husband's not honoring his priesthood, which is what the FLDS and LDS call the power of God, right? They call it the priesthood. And if you're not honoring in the priesthood, then, um, you need to gently, you know, try to help him in any way that you can to make him stronger, but don't go and tell leaders that right. he's not following his priesthood. Because that is showing that you're not uplifting your husband. And then basically the woman could get in trouble. So if you tell on your husband, you're going to get in trouble. If you don't tell on your husband um, and and lift him up in the perfect way to make him look good, then you could be dealing with abusive situations. You could be uh, dealing with who knows what inside your home. But that was their duty. But that was their duty as the wife. Wow. I think it was similar in the IBLP, these women talking about being in domestic abuse situations and the church saying, well, you better fix it. Like that's your fault. You need to 
help your husband. Be a better yeah, wife. Be right? a better wife. And that's so dangerous. And it just yeah. creates so many distortions in general. I mean, we could make a list. Sexual distortions, obviously, when you have this predatory behavior, especially towards children. But then you have these distortions that it kind of creates this narcissism and this God complex among the men. And so you can't even totally blame them because mm-hmm. they have been put up on this pedestal and they have been given all the power. And so it would almost be odd for them to not kind of take that in and step into that role because that's their job. That's their duty, right? Right. Yeah. And not only would that cause some problems because they would feel like they have all this power and so they can do whatever they want to do, but they were also told it was their duty to control these people. It is your duty to control your Mm -hmm. wife, to control the kids. And so I feel like maybe in some cases, good man turned into bad man because of the what they felt like they had to do. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah. But uh, Sam's also walking proof though that they can change if they want to, right? Like he yep. came out of that yeah. situation and you can still look at that the way you grew up and be like, oh, I'm going to do that. Or you can say that's not what I want in my relationship and be amazing like you babe and choose that though he he made that choice though to be an equal partner and to overcome what he had been raised to believe yeah it was not the way i was raised uh we would go a lot of what i did growing up was helping my brothers on construction sites that was kind of the work we did a lot of different types of construction and there were moments where we would be dealing with the homeowner we'd be talking to the husband about maybe the color of whatever he wants right and he would say, all right, well, let me go talk to the boss, right? Yeah. And, and then he would go talk to the wife. And we would laugh. Like, oh, can you believe this guy thinks the <gasps> wife's the boss? Oh, what? my like, gosh. That's just the way we were raised. So it sounded so weird, right? Yeah. So it was definitely a, a, a change. Some changes needed, and I'm glad were made when I when I moved out. Yeah, that is such a great example. I'm glad that you shared that. And it just goes to show, again, that – why would you question your reality when that's your reality? Right. You know, if someone tells you the sky is blue, the sky is blue until you get knocked over the head and then wake up and you're like, where am I? Oh, it's purple or like whatever <laughs> it is. Like it takes it takes something really dramatic usually to kind of shake you out of a reality that you've been raised in and and see it from a new perspective. And that's why we do these interviews on the show. And I'm sure that's why you do your interviews too, is just to give people new perspective because it also allows for no- more sympathy when you meet people who come out of these different religions. You don't automatically jump to, oh, they're just sexist. How about taking a look at how they were raised and see what programs are running and how they see the world because it's not always a person's fault. They don't always do it intentionally is what I'm trying to say. Of course, accountability, but they don't always do things intentionally. You have to kind of see things from a different perspective in order to have more compassion. So I wanted to get into, you mentioned the construction. I think forced labor is a really big Mm. similarity between IBLP and the FLDS and the IBLP. Um, Jen was just mentioning how she paid, funny, it's kind of like a mission, she paid to go and do this service work and they were actually doing real labor and it's just crazy how these businesses and they really are businesses can flourish when you have people paying you to do the work that you need them to do. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something I saw a lot of, uh, especially 
later on when Warren would just take the, the young men and the young women and just take them to whatever compound he wanted and force them to, I mean, they didn't think it was forced. They thought they were happy to build up the kingdom. The child labor was very common in the FLDS because we felt and looked at it like it was a great honor to to build up the kingdom of Zion is what we called it, build up, building up the kingdom of God. And so when Warren would ask the young kids, girls and boys to go to one of these uh, compounds, whether it was Texas or Colorado, uh, these different places, they were happy to go, not realizing that it was forced labor, right? Right. So, and that's kind of a way that these strict religions twist it. They make it seem like you're doing this amazing thing, but they were going and working long hours into the night, nonstop, uh, building these houses. The women were cooking the food, doing the laundry. So they were just working their lives away. Um, so that was kind of the extreme side of it. What I, I never went to any of these compounds, thankfully. Once again, I wasn't righteous enough, I guess. But what I did experience is it was such a common thing within the religion to go out and work because that's what everyone did. That even as a young boy, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like it was important to get an education because all of my brothers were out working on these job sites. And so I, I f assumed that was the cool thing to do. And so as soon as I could, as soon as I could pass as an adult, you know, even though I was 13 years old, I was out on these job sites working right alongside full time with my brothers and other men from the from the community. And the women had homemaking classes. So they had full manuals like, well, the guys are going out and doing construction. They're having full classes on how to cook and how to sew. Um, in addition to the fact that most of the time the families are so large, I know this is similar to the Duggars in the sense that like the older siblings are basically raising the babies. Like Sam had mm -hmm. one sister who raised him in particular where mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, she was my caretaker, right? Because they almost always have an infant. So the infant is taken care of by the mother and then oh. they're assigned sisters, um, you know, that way. So in addition to just having those experiences from a very young age, they do go to a lot of classes as women to be told how to be a good wife and how to be a good mother. Yeah, that's true. So the women were working at a, from a very young age as well. Yeah. yeah. And we even had that. <laughs> I did this in the last episode too. And I don't know why I keep forgetting to mention the biggest part of the IBLP as far as why you need to have a million children. But it's because their plan is to put as many children into their quote quiver as possible. It's from a Bible verse and shoot them out like arrows into the world and they will permeate every sector of society into the government and change policy to basically handmaid's tale America or the world and take over. So was that the similar ideology for the FLDS as well? Not uh, kind of, but not really. Uh, they did want to have lots of children to build up the community and build up Zion, as they would say. But in there, they would often use the scripture quotes that those that are righteous enough to be to survive and to be lifted up in the last days are going to be very few. They would they would use the idea of there's not going to be very many that are righteous in the last days. So we would look at. You know, I mean, there at one point what we got up to around 10,000, which, you know, is still a large number, but compared to the world, that's very small. And we would look at that as a good thing. Like, wow, we are the elite. We are, mm. we are the only righteous enough people on this earth 
to be saved in the last days and the rest are wicked and will be destroyed right so that's kind of the the way they went with it they pretty much figured that the rest of the world is already doomed so they never went try like they didn't proselyte mm. um they didn't try to convert anybody they really yeah. just tried to breed the kingdom of god until the second mm. coming but the rest of the world they knew was going to burn anyway so they just planned on letting it burn <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's such yeah. a doomsday approach, of course, with Mormonism, the last days. Um, yeah, wow, yeah. how interesting. When it comes to being righteous, I want to go into a little bit more about the punishments because I did see some similarities with the documentary. Everyone, well, hopefully everyone, if you haven't seen it already, go watch Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. I, I want to get your opinion, too, on how accurate you think it was portrayed, but it's specifically talking about Warren Jeffs and how he went to prison for mm -hmm. doing what he did with young women and children. And oh, I just won't say it out loud. But um, I think one of the major things that I noticed is the keep sweet. And when I was watching Melissa Duggar talk on this documentary and it was very soft and you need to obey mommy. And it's almost like, oh my gosh, just use your voice. Like I just wanted to yeah. yell at her, speak up. Um, yeah. And so I think that that is a learned behavior because women, especially in yours and the FLDS, they were literally told to keep sweet and be small and mousy and delicate and feminine. So I want to, I want you to speak to that. Yes. And that is very much a thing in the FLDS. LDS church. The women are not allowed, well, not even the men aren't allowed to laugh loud. Laughing out loud was evil. No laughing out, I mean, no like loud oh laughter. <laughs> yeah, so, that comes from Joseph Smith, though. Right. That's not a. So that yeah. was definitely a thing. Yeah, that comes, that's even, I remember that uh, in Mormonism, in mainstream Mormonism, uh -huh. that was a thing. So we would, on occasion, as a family, we would go camping in the during the summer. And we would be sitting at a campsite, and a few campsites away, there would be a Gentile family, as we a would call Gentile them. Gentile family. Uh, those that weren't a part of the church. Uh huh. And who knows? Maybe they had a few drinks, but they were laughing. I mean, they were laughing loud. <laughs> and so in our minds, we were thinking, those people are so evil. Like, not only are they dressed like evil people, but they're laughing My like evil God. people. <laughs> so, you know, just the way we were taught, we it was very easy to judge those around you because of the way they would act. It was probably my family over in <laughs> Probably. I, I can see that now. <laughs> um, so, but um, I'm trying to think where I was going with all of this. Keep sweet. Oh, just the soft-spokenness. Yeah. The fact yes. that, yeah, and the keep sweet and just the always being obedient. Yeah, I felt the same way every time I heard um the Duggar mom like talking and I'm like oh my word yeah you hear that a lot with if you've ever heard a recording of Warren Jeff speak yeah it's the same thing mm. like it is that almost hypnotic mm -hmm. trying to convince you that what's being said is okay because of the way that I say it yeah. and if I just say it yeah. in the best way then it's okay you know and then i'm not abusing my kids if i'm doing these horrible things to these children and calling it what you call it, encouragement to need encouragement right. that made me sick yeah like i was like yeah. oh it just infuriates me but in in the flds the the women specifically even the men would talk that way and they still do i mean there are on occasion when i can talk to someone that still follows warren jeffs they still have that way of mm. speaking and I can, I can take about 15 minutes of it. And then I'm just, I mean, it's like, whoa, it, it brings me, it brings me back to the place of like feelings of fear and the world coming to an mm. end. That's the feelings I get when I hear those voices. 
the world's coming to an end. We should all be afraid. We may as well give up on life. Basically, that's that's kind of the idea that comes along with the way of speaking when I hear it. So, but it was very common. Yeah, it's almost like a PTSD that's happening, which also speaks to how speaking in that way is a form of indoctrination in itself. If it's if hearing that can bring back such traumatic memories, it makes sense then that the opposite is true, that initially when you would hear that, it would bring comfort and it was like your way of life, right? It made sense to you. And once it no longer makes sense to you, it has the opposite effect. Do you feel like that's an accurate representation of that? Yes, I would say so. Yep, definitely. It always just, the, the memories flood back or not not so much the memories the feelings yeah that you can you can forget specific instances and things that happened but the feelings stick with you and uh so that and then hearing the when these shows it often will show them singing the songs uh, sometimes even warren jeff's singing songs and when i hear that that's even stronger mm. the singing is just it's powerful i feel that way with regular church and it's not even traumatic in nature i mean i don't think any of it is if you look at it from an outsider's perspective it's probably really beautiful you're like oh wow they're singing in harmony all of these beautiful mm -hmm. church songs and then when you understand the mentality behind it and the coercion the manipulation and all of that, then you start to see it for what it is, which is usually just indoctrination um, by way of specific songs like chanting, follow the prophet, and like a super creepy tone, which I never, it used to be my favorite song. And then I look back now and I'm like, wow, that was kind of culty. <laughs> I don't really like that song. Um, but of course, there's going to be the balance of the beauty and the things that bring people harm, which is why it's always so hard to pinpoint when you're in it, because of course there's going to be good with the bad or you want to be in it. Um, right. But right. I did want to speak to, I want to round out the, the punishment section of my notes here, which is the solitary confinement. And that's something that Jen spoke to as well. In these training centers, they had solitary confinement rooms where people would end up getting stuck for, days, sometimes even weeks, in a room with no furniture, two meals a day, can't speak. And this is also for children. And I know that they do similar things, or I've heard of stories about the FLDS sending women away or putting them in solitary confinement. Do you have any experience with that? So I know that it happened. I will say that. I know that it happened. That's that's kind of a, an extreme, not, not really extreme. It was common. Uh, I never personally experienced the being sent away, but I experienced small doses of the same idea, the solitary confinement. That was, it seemed to be the way to punish, you know, I never got mm. whipped with a belt, but I got sat in a corner in somewhere in the house away from everyone else and had to remain in that corner until the, until my father in, in most cases felt that I had taught learned my lesson or that I had repented mm -hmm. and and so we were kind of put away like okay go sit in this corner and don't move a muscle until until you have learned your lesson for was, very long periods of time yeah. like the way I grew up it was like time out was like a minute a year old you were oh, you know right. if you were one if you were two you had to sit somewhere maybe for two minutes you know which is like a reasonable time but like Sam's no, examples it was, it were like be, it could be an entire day day what? and a half just depending on what the situation was how how bad you messed up i guess you could say or or if uh, our father was 
or yeah, if he was, cause he was a busy, he had a lot of uh, work in that. So sometimes he would just go to work and forget that we were in this corner and we just had to sit there that the mothers couldn't give us permission to get up. We, we had to get the AOK from him, only him. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. It was, a, that was, that was kind of the way that we were punished. Yeah. Did you ever feel like your mom tried to advocate for you as far as calling dad and being like, hey, you left Sam in the corner. Can he get out now? Uh, I'm sure she, she was a strong willed woman. And so she would she would stand up for herself on occasion when in most cases other women would not. Uh, so maybe maybe there was a phone call here and there that, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, our son was in the corner. Maybe, but in most cases, she was taught to obey. Yeah. Um, and, and for the, I mean, Sam's very, very lucky in this aspect where that kind of punishment, like being punished like that was considered really uh, very, very mild oh, in yes. that community. You know, women being sent away into like repentance houses and being um, sent away from their children for years, years wow. on end. Um, back to the idea that, you know, the women and children are property of the priesthood. And that is truly what they believed in. Warren separated a lot of families, even fathers. Sam's father had to be separated for a sin that he didn't know what he had done wrong. Oh. Um, they'll just be like, oh, you sinned. You have to be sent away. You can't live with your wives. You can't live with your children. Um, and that was very, very common under Warren Jeffs was just being sent away for something you don't know for an certain, not even a certain amount of time, just whenever Warren remembers that you are there and women were separated from their kids constantly and kids were moved around under different authority figures, which the IBLP had mentioned that at one point that I remember the quote, something along the lines of that the, they were in charge, whoever they were under at that moment was their authority. Mm. And that's what it was. But like, yeah. so whatever man, basically, it always ended up being a man, right? So whatever man was in charge at that moment or was around them at that time was the authority. And that's how it was for the FLDS. Right. It changed. The they always had, the authorities would change. There just always had to be, they sometimes call them caretakers, but it was always a priesthood holder, which means it had to be a man um, that was in charge of that child or that woman at some point in time. And those caretakers they could say they had to listen to whatever the caretaker said at all times. Yeah. yeah. And that's the same for the IBLP too. They were mentioning even in the training centers, they would have someone who was over them and they could only, sometimes they were only even a few years older than them. And so if that older person who was in charge of them were to assault them, the person under them wouldn't be able to say anything and they would just have to go along with it. And so again, just a, an environment that's ripe for abuse. And I also want to point out that we're speaking in past tense because right. you left. Obviously, you're not still in it, but this is still going on. There are still oh, people yeah. who are continuing to follow Warren Jeffs and this abuse is still happening, which is why it's so important to speak out about it. And I also think that from an outsider's perspective, looking in, I feel like a big reason, aside from obviously being cut off and ostracized from your family, if you leave, a big reason that 
these women aren't able to leave is because of the lack of education mm -hmm. and they aren't really aware of what's going on in the outside world because they are so completely isolated. So I wanted to get into what it was like with your education. Uh, were you part of the homeschooling system? Because I know within the IBLP, it was very strongly suggested that you use their specific, I think it's API or ATI, shoot, I forgot, uh, homeschooling that was ATI that was very skewed toward these biblical principles that weren't really a solid education, a secular education. So let's get into what your education looked like. Very similar. It was all homeschooling. I never attended any type of public school or formal education. Uh, and it was homeschooled by my parents. So you know, they would take the education that they had and, and try to help us and teach us the best they could. There were some outside texts involved, uh, you know, like the reading and, and math and that type of thing. But for the most part, well, not so much reading because it, uh, they wanted us to read church material. Uh, but that for the most part, it was based on religion. It was, like you said, biblical uh stories and everything was kind of revolved around religion in some way or another. Warren Jeffs wrote his own material. He would write his devotionals and he even was the principal of a school uh, up in Salt Lake when a lot of FLDS people lived up there. So he was very involved in the school system, but uh, it was all based in the home. Wow. And I also want to point out because I had some comments in my video that I released this morning with Jen about people are saying homeschooling is bad and that's not true. And I want to 100% clarify that that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that homeschooling your kids is wrong and traumatic. What we are saying and, and what the documentary was trying to get across is that when you have a homeschool program that isolates the child from society and doesn't give them the full education that they should have, that's when things become toxic. And that's when that child is no longer equipped to go out into the world if they chose to leave the, the group that they were part of because they don't have all of the information. They don't know how to do certain things. They are literally isolated. And I think it's a form of control, information control, keeping these members within the cult so that they don't have the option to leave or they're too afraid to leave. And it really comes yeah. down to a lot of the reasoning behind it. And I can speak to this because I was homeschooled <laughs> until um, my freshman year of high school. So I was homeschooled and I would say most people don't ever know because they don't have a lot of the social tendencies because I am outgoing and social. And my mom, my parents' whole purpose behind it wasn't to try to keep us in a, in a bubble. Um, it was honestly a lot about like wanting us to experience more. Like we traveled a lot and it was about getting the same amount of schoolwork done that could be done in an eight hour day. I would get done in two. Yeah. And so when I went into high school, um, I was very advanced. High school was like boring, but super fun for me because I had all of those like basic skills already. And so I was like, this stuff is easy. <laughs> um, but now I get to hang out with friends and do all the fun things that high schoolers, like my parents weren't scared of high school for me. They thought that'd be a good fun experience. I was homeschooled for other reasons. So there can definitely be lots of good reasons for homeschooling and for the right kids and the right parents. And my mom had um, been like a psychology and education major. You know, she had the right tools in her toolbox to do that. All of those type of things can definitely be 
a positive experience as well. But like you said, it's about whether or not you're doing it for an organization to control your children, Mm -hmm. uh, what your purpose is behind it, what your goal is for your child with that. If your goal is, I'm going to only teach them fractions so she can be a good wife, or are you teaching them all these things because you want them to be able to do well in high school, do well in college, do well in life, get good careers, you know, your intention behind it, like you said, is the part of it that matters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's, uh, I think that in these organizations, a lot of it comes down to controlling them and keeping information away from them so that they have no other option, or at least they feel they have no other option, but to stick in that organization stick with it yeah look at me making the right decision and bringing on the right people to talk about this i was i didn't even realize you're homeschooled uh, melissa uh, that's like uh, the perfect uh, example of the uh, juxtaposition i guess of your backgrounds yeah it's yeah. so perfect yeah. so speaking of control and isolation another thing that is very common and that i drew the line between both these groups is the isolation within society we kind of touched on it already but They weren't allowed to have radios or TV that gave them windows into the outside world. They were very much isolated within their own group, not to say that they didn't have big social outings and gatherings because they had huge assemblies and and would have camps and special education programs just for that group. But overall, just speaking to Jen, and I can't, sorry, I keep bringing her up just because she had so much to say. Um, she's like, yeah, I have no idea what the music was like in the 80s or 90s because I wasn't allowed to listen to it. So even just listening to, quote, worldly music was wrong. So what was that like for you, Sam? Did you have something similar in FLDS? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> they were very, very strict about all of that. Uh, Gentile music or worldly music. Mm-hmm were terms that were used. Basically, that meant anything that was not made by the church. Only uh, music that was made by the church was allowed. A lot of those songs were sung by Warren Jeffs himself or, you know, his wives, things like that. They would use these words that now I go back and listen to and they're cringe-worthy. And it's interesting because even today, I can listen to a song and say, oh, that was a great song. And Melissa will say, what was it about? And I would say, oh, I have no idea. It just felt good. Yeah. Right? Like the, I like the rhythm. I like the way it sounded. And I wonder to this day if part of that was because I ignored or chose not to listen to the words oh. being sung as a child in those songs. I wonder. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Well, the words in some of the songs, we have like his old CDs from them. And I remember when we were dating, he like popped one in the car and I couldn't, I couldn't even last through one track. And I mean, we have very <laughs> solemn hymns and like you said, follow the prophet and praise to the man. We, we have things within Mormonism where when you look back, you're like, oh, that's a little intense, but that is nothing. I mean, nothing. No compared to the, I will obey, I will listen, I will pray, I will be obedient, I will be obedient. Like the way, just following the prophet, the way that they word it even and the the way that they speak in those songs is just like pure indoctrination. Like to anybody on the outside would give you just shivers of fear. Like you said, I think the emotion thing is really powerful and music can have great powerful influences too. But even if you haven't been raised that way, hearing Warren Jeff sing, if you listen to the words will make you feel 
Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. And just the way that he uses the words is very crazy. But I mean, it was very strict though. It was not allowed. Uh, Something that was done, this ties in, stick with me, this ties in with the music. Something that was done in the FLDS church is you hear of people dedicating their homes. Yeah. I I assume you've heard of that as well. It's, uh, yeah, basically a way to force and keep evil spirits from entering your home to make it simple i guess i forgot that was a thing <laughs> you're just bringing back all these memories oh, a yeah. totally <laughs> yeah. thing in the lds too yeah yeah i think yeah. the iblp i think somebody in there also said during this documentary that they also dedicated rooms of or they asked bill to come and pray over the rooms in their yeah. home so that triggered yeah. i was like whoa that's yeah. the same thing they but, didn't call it dedicating but they did pray or do something some kind of magic but um, the, in the FLDS church, they would do the same for their vehicles. They would dedicate their vehicles. And that was the kind of the same idea. Keep us safe, uh, keep evil spirits out, keep God in control, keep Satan away. That's the idea. And as young boys, of course, we weren't the greatest at following rules. And there was this one experience. We were on a job site and our older brother who owned the truck and had dedicated the truck before, uh, was out finishing up something and we all jumped in his truck and we just turned the radio on and it was, you know, to some country song that was considered super evil back in those days in our, in our minds. And we just cranked it up. And so we just, you know, he could hear the beat just, we were just jamming in his, in his truck and he hears it. He turns around. I've never seen someone run so fast. He just is just running towards us and jumps in and slams it off. How dare you boys do this? Oh I have to rededicate God. my truck now. I don't know if we're going to be safe on the drive home. Uh, so it was a very big deal, a very big deal. And that was just the music, let alone internet, movies, TV, all of that stuff. Nothing was allowed, even books. Books were taken away. Uh, so it was very isolated. The information coming in was very much controlled. Sam hid like a DVD player. Was it a DVD or CD player? A DVD, DVD. DVD player in his pillowcase. Oh my God. So that he could sneak movies to watch. But like some boys, like if he had been found out and Warren had found out or the wrong people had found out, he could have been sent away from his mm. family at a very young age. Like I lived yeah. in a community about 45 minutes away from where Sam grew up and they called them the lost boys, but boys would get kicked out for like sneaking out to go see a movie and they would kick them out at 14 years old with nowhere to go. And there were kids in my community that I went to high school with that were from out there where something similar like that had happened. They'd been caught listening to music or talking to a girl and they were just forced out with nowhere to go. And then people in the surrounding communities would take them in. So we got very good at sneaking around so that we didn't get forced away from the family. But we were very afraid of that, of course. Getting caught was something that we were very afraid of. Wow. I would love to talk to some of those lost boys if you have any suggestions of people who might want to come on and talk to us. Sure, we could come up with some names. Yeah. Yeah. Get you in touch with them. Yeah. I would love to get that perspective because we talked to a few women as well and now you, Sam and Calvin, but I would like to get that perspective of someone who was kicked out and how they survived because my goodness, how, like, just how? (laughs) I don't have any other words. How? So I think the last thing on my list is glorifying biblical times, which I found really unnerving and we 
talked about this a little bit as far as wanting to go back and live the olden ways except with bright shiny cars but the iblp are talking about the housewife's times in the 50s like they want to go way back we're talking jen literally told me that they wish that they could stone disobedient children wow this is really dark medieval stuff this is so far beyond how we have progressed as a society, which is incredibly dangerous to human rights, women's rights, children's rights, everyone's rights. So I want to get your opinion because I do think the fundamentalist church, the FLDS specifically, it feels like they're living in the 1800s. And uh, I want I just want to get your opinion on that. Yes. And I, I believe that they, they tried to stick with that because in those days, men had control. And that's what they, and I, I believe it was the same with the institution. They wanted to keep that control. And if they could turn to anything that people are already believing in, such as the Bible, and say, hey, this is what we're trying to be like. We're trying to follow what God taught in his holy book. And that's what they would try to do. And, and But of course, it was all about the control, keeping the women, the children obedient, keeping sweet, following the rules. But it was very much the same in the FLDS church. It, I mean, it basically the exact same as, as they were talking about in the show. Yeah, I'd say that FLDS is just one of those few communities that because of their isolation and their location, um, they're able to kind of stay in the 1800s mm-hmm. easier than most other people. You know, like it's mm-hmm. a lot of their geographical location. You know, they are within, they're in this little valley, like with mountains surround, huge mountains. Zion National Park is like on the backside of where Sam grew up, you know, yeah. and being willing to say, we don't want to proselyte. We're not going to try to draw attention to us. We want everyone to ignore that we're here because we're just over here prepping for the second coming and trying to just stay to ourselves. All of those type of things lead them being able to successfully stay further back. I think you see it with the the Mennonites and the Amish as well. You know, you have to be willing to try to keep your community small and only populate them really to be able to try to go back in time. And the IBLP had this weird, yeah. seemed like this weird obsession with like, we want to go back, but we want to grow and we want more money and we want all the nice things. We like want to mm-hmm. have our cake and we want to eat it too. Yeah. Because that's not how it was back in those days either. Right. 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 That's the funny thing is they're like, no, we want to go back to when times were sacred, but we want all the modern day conveniences. Like, let's just call it for what it is. You want to go back in time so you can control women and children and get away with anything that you want. Like that That's what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and use the Bible as an excuse and use God is an excuse to be able to do anything. And that's the most infuriating part is doing things in the name of God. So it makes you feel self-righteous and and capable of, well, I'm doing this because it's best for their salvation. Is it? Is it though? Because it looks like abuse to me. Yeah. yeah. And they're getting all this direction from somebody, I think it was in the last episode, they mentioned this, like Bill Gothard did not have a wife. He did not have kids. He did not have Mm -mm. the unit that he says is so important that needs to be spread throughout the earth and having this quiverful. He didn't have any of those things. So how he convinced somebody that that's, or all those people that this is the right way to live without any signs of being an example of it himself was a little bit like crazy. I'm like, nobody stopped to question that. 
Yes. Let's talk about the leaders to wrap this up. Let's talk about all the ways that Bill Gothard and Warren Jeffs are the same. Ready, set, go. Uh (laughs) You want to go first, babe? (laughs) A lot of similarities for sure. Um, You know, it's interesting. The the big difference is Bill Gothard was okay remaining single. Now, that doesn't go to say that he wasn't abusing women because obviously he was. But Warren wanted to use the you know what i'm not abusing women because they're married to me right loophole so whenever he had an a desire instead of instead of quote unquote just abusing this single girl he would just marry himself to her mm. and say that now it's all good and dandy this is what the lord wants yeah. and now i can do whatever i want because she's mine and that's something that was is very infuriating about warren jeffs is and, and other leaders of these types of organizations is they treat the women and the children as property of the organization, the institute, the church, whatever you want to call it. But they they're just property. They're just there to to take advantage of, it seems like. Yeah. And I'd say another like another similarity, because that's like a huge difference. I think a similarity is the quiet way that they wanted the money. Like I found that really interesting that they were talking about how like Bill Gothard, a lot of people didn't seem, you know, he didn't have the fanciest car. He didn't have, um, it, it took a while for people to realize the amount of money he had. Mm-hmm. And I think with Warren Jeffs, people didn't realize how much money he had till he was on the run and they're finding pictures of him at Disneyland and traveling here and traveling there, you know, being able to act like you're a humble servant of God when really you are power and money hungry is something that I saw a huge similarity between the two of them. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, we all assumed that Warren wasn't taking the money for himself, that he was taking the money because we knew we were giving him a lot of money. Everyone knew that. But we thought it was going to building up the kingdom of God, not for him to go and do whatever he wants to do in Vegas or whatever, you know? And so, it, yeah, you're right. They they would they would use it as a, no, this is, money's not for me. I'm just a humble servant of God. Uh, They would play that game, but in the end, they were using a lot of the money for their own gain. And that's another one Mm -hmm. too, right? The practicing what you preach or don't practicing what you preach as far as Warren goes, because he taught you to not be of the world and yet he's out partying in Vegas. When I, when I first saw those pictures, I, oh my, ugh. Keep Sweet was the first time you saw them, right? It was. The pictures of Warren being all over, Sam was out there when the FBI was searching for him. Oh, yeah. And I he had not seen it. any of those pictures until last summer when wow. Keep Sweet Praying to Bay came out. The, the pictures of him being handcuffed and the pictures of him in Vegas and Disney, and, and World. Disney World and these different places. That's the first time I'd seen those pictures. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. The way that he was forcing us to live and saying that these types of things that he was doing were so evil and of the world and then doing him doing all that stuff himself like i uh i couldn't believe it wow that's infuriating i'm sure it must have felt like a gut punch Mm -hmm. because then you're like why have i been living this way this whole time because he clearly doesn't believe it but yet we're supposed to believe him there's clearly a disconnect here what is the right way what is truth what is life deconstruct and then everything comes down, right? That's usually how it goes. You start to it starts to unravel, yeah. and then you pull one Jenga piece, and then another, and then all of a sudden your tower's on the floor, and you're like, "Well, shit, <laughs> now what?" Yeah, exactly. And it's it's one of those things that I can move past. You know, whatever. I, I don't believe in all that stuff anymore. It's like it's just in the past. Whatever. That's frustrating. 
But what's infuriating to me is there are still so many people following him and still believe that all of these things that he was doing are of the world and so evil. And they, have no, the are fake. they have no idea that he was doing these things still to this day. And they're still following him and doing what he tells them to do. So that's where it gets me. Yes, yeah. the infallible leader that can do no wrong. And if uh, you see uh, something bad, then it's clearly not true because he's the man of the Lord and all. I mean, we've heard it all, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? Because we've covered so much that you guys specifically wanted to mention as far as the similarities. Mm. I think I would just quickly... I know that we had talked about like homeschool, you know, that not all homeschoolers are bad. <clears throat> we had someone comment on one of our um, videos as well, talking about how sometimes big families are looked at as, oh, you know, oh, it must just be some crazy religious thing. And, and I guess the only other thing that I would say just with all of these things is, you know, it's not being homeschooled doesn't hold any kind of morality homeschooling is not good or bad. Um, having a big family is neither good nor bad. Having a small family, none mm. of these things hold morality. It's when an organization uses spiritual manipulation yes. to force you into believing that your eternal salvation or that your blind obedience um, means everything in the world and that without that, you are instantly going to have guilt and shame and undue pressure on women and children mm -hmm. is where the problem lies. So I don't want people watching to think that any of these particular things that the Duggars were doing besides the abuse itself, you right. know, like a lot of the things are good people trying to do good things. Yeah. It's the organization that is causing the manipulation that is causing the root. And it's those things that end up almost always in some form of abuse and it's the abuse that's wrong yes preach yep. girl i agree well said yep. that was amen. great amen i agree yeah. and that's that's what we do here at close to consciousness it's not about being elevated or you know some people mistake it for mysticism as far as the consciousness goes no it's just about being aware of yourself aware of making your own choices being able to make your own choices your own independent sovereignty individual sovereignty um not being coerced into any particular decision where you think that you have sovereignty and choices, but really you're being manipulated to believe a certain thing. So that's really all we want is we want people to become aware of their surroundings, become aware not only for themselves, but for the people who they interact with and just give people more perspective. This has been yeah. so much fun, guys. Yeah. Thanks yeah, so much for has. coming on and sharing. Of yeah, course. I need to get your Linda Listen moment, your sassy <laughs> statement to maybe shiny, happy people or something that you want to say as far as inspiration goes to our listeners. I'll, I'll go. Uh, uh, so do I do I do I say do I say Linda Listen, Linda Listen, Linda Listen, Linda. <laughs> um, Linda Listen. So just I would just like to say that there are so many people that find themselves in these types of situations that I found myself in and that the shiny, happy people find themselves in that have uh, uh, hopefully a lot of them feel a lot in a better place now that have escaped it. But there is hope. That's what I want to share. There is hope. Uh, I, I've found that uh, for myself, I come from a place where there didn't seem like there was any way, anywhere to go, anywhere to turn. Uh, number one, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful people in this world that are not a part of these groups that we thought were the only true, true 
I guess, the, tr the only truth. <laughs> There's a lot of wonderful people that are willing to help and that want to help uh, us that are trying to move forward from these different situations. And there's just a lot of wonderful things in this life that are out there for anyone that is willing to search for them and just um, change their life around. You know, that's, that's what I've been able to do for myself. And it's been wonderful. Amazing. I love it. Melissa, what's yours? <laughs> so I would say, Linda, listen. Yes. I would say for all of my Lindas that are in some type of spiritual journey of their own or any type of faith transition, um, I would say to not try to create a finish line while you're still in the middle of your journey. I think when I started my spiritual journey, I felt like at, there was going to be this end point, like, oh, I just have to get to where I know this, mm. or I want to feel that, or that there's something. And I would say to enjoy the journey and not place a finish line because it's going to be ongoing and you never know where you're going to end up. And if you try to place it on one road and you end up over here, you might feel like that's off, but over there might be where you're meant to be. Yes. I love that so much. Linda, listen, it's a journey and we're all going through it and it takes time. And to Sam's Linda, listen, there are resources which can help you. And we will put those in the description box below. I think holding out help is a good one. Yes. Everyone go follow Growing Up in Polygamy. They have a lot of great interviews and information over there. And ideally when this comes out, they will also have a reaction video to more content about shiny, happy people. So definitely go follow them. And Growing Up in Polygamy on Instagram, we'll put the links below. And do you have any final thoughts before we go? Just thank you so much for having us. It's, it's been, been so much great. fun. Thank you for asking the great questions. It's been great uh, having this discussion with you. <laughs> it's been so much fun. Let's do it again. And for everyone else listening, if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash cults do consciousness. But also just hitting that subscribe button, sharing this video with people is a huge, massive help. It tells the algorithm that you like it and that other people want to see it and it'll shoot it out to more people. So if you liked this episode, you will definitely like the ones that I'm about to link right here. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.